This is Design School as a podcast for the growing designer. Those interested in design, starting their career in design, or looking for a reminder of why they went into design. This is Design School. On this episode, we interview our good friend and Pacific Lutheran University alum, Nicole Gleedle, who shares her story of moving to another country and becoming the designer she was meant to be. It's inspiring, uplifting, and will make you want to pack your bags and head out on your own uncharted adventure. Hello and welcome. <laughs> uh, Nicole, it's been a hot minute. Hi, you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's good to see you again. Thank you, guys. It's been a year since I've been back to Seattle. Has it really? Just about. Gosh. I'm trying to think of the last time I saw you. We had a dinner in Tacoma. Was that the, really the last time I saw you? Or was it at your going away party? Oh, that's right. Uh, that go, but don't don't we actually have a recording from inside the car from outside? I think your we do. Party. What did we do? Chad and I uh-huh. brought the recording equipment, and we had texted you to say, "Come to the car." We were going to do a podcast then. We're going to do this impromptu, oh. let's just do the interview before she leaves on this big adventure. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, I was kind of busy that you were, night, yeah. too. You were mid-party. Yeah. yeah. I was celebrating leaving Seattle <laughs> for the first time. And and you had cupcakes. And my birthday. Yeah. I turned 29 last year. Yeah. So this year's the big 3 Wow. Welcome. Thank you. Speaking of traveling abroad, I mean, that's kind of how we all got really close. That is true. We all traveled to Dubai together mm-hmm. back in 2011. No, it was January of 2010. January. It was my senior year. Yes, that's right. I went in 2010 and 2013. So actually, you all were the first group that I took abroad. Oh, yeah. It was obvious. Oh, really? <laughs> no. Uh, the number of times you had gelato as <laughs> comfort food. <laughs> No, we had a fun time traveling the world together. There's something about when you're on study abroad, you have your village with you. Yeah. Um, you have a, all the support system around you. So being off on my own in this study abroad for reals version, real world study abroad, it's it's tough. But I think some of the study abroad skills that I learned with you guys and when I was in London in 2009 for an internship at the National Portrait Gallery. My first time to London. So wait a second. It was kind of like predetermined, really? Or maybe it was a place that I felt most myself, most artsy, most free, most just full of possibility. So I think I knew in 2009 that it was a place that I needed to get back to for my own self. From 2009 to now, what was the trajectory to get there? After graduating from PLU in 2011, I uh, started in advertising in Seattle and worked my way up, did Microsoft, Starbucks, all the main clients here. REI was my last one. Had a great career here in Seattle, six, 
seven years in marketing advertising, going pretty well on track to become an art director at Pop, local boutique design agency. I ended up saying, you know, I can't sell another Frappuccino. I can't just live my life here. And that that's it. And I, my brother got engaged and he just got married. And I'm so excited for him. But also they're moving their life towards staying in Seattle. And that that's that. And I knew I had to get out. So you knew you had to get out. You have a one-way ticket. And where? what was the plan? The plan was to get my citizenship my dad is British. My grandmother's British. Um, his, his parents were British, and they moved over for Boeing uh, when he was just six years old. So I knew that I could get my citizenship, and I did a lot of legal research to figure out, okay, I am British by my birthright, and so I'm, I'm going to claim that. And it really was to honor my grandmother, who passed last year in August. I bought the plane ticket in July. November, my bags were packed, my house was liquidated, and um, I was on a one-way, one-way plane to London. It's not like they hand you a passport when you're coming through the, the gates. I'm here. I'm, I'm ready to start my life in London. And citizen immigration is looking at me like, no, you're not. Did they give you a time limit on when you could legally stay in the country? The time limit to be a visitor is 90 days. I had most of the paperwork I needed. I needed to be in the country in order to um, figure out some of the logistics, like getting my dad's birth certificate from the province that he was born in up north. So you're going to London and you had a few contacts there. Like, were those family members? How did, I mean, how did you already have contacts in London? When I was at PLU, I got the chance to study abroad in London. One of my friends had done it the semester before, and I knew it was possible. Kind of when you see somebody who's done it before, you realize Oh, that's not so far away from me. I can I can do that. My friend Diana did it the, the year before me, and she had a great experience, met her over the summer um, when she came back. And I was like, you know, I'm thinking about doing this in the spring. And she's like, definitely do it. I never really left my hometown. I'm from Woodenville. just went down to Tacoma, around Seattle. And so finally I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm, I've seen she, she did it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun. I've, I've been wanting to study abroad and travel on my own. So I went over, so studying painting for a month in Paris. It was absolutely gorgeous. Then I headed over to London and that was stepping my first, my first step in London was kind of tenuous. I missed my flight there. But then once I finally got in, I found a support system to help me. I had a school um, to take some classes. I was taking Shakespeare and sketching and just so many fun things. And then I also had an internship at the National Portrait Gallery. Um, and those people were the contacts that, that have become my friends for life. And they actually signed my passport application. <laughs> That was kind of one of the things where I was like, okay, I had a great experience. It was a wonderful time. Six months in London, back to PLU, finished my design degree. Cut to seven years later, and I am just jonesing for a way to get out of Seattle. It's something to change up my life. My brother's getting married. I need something new. So this one-way ticket. Um, and I had my people at the National Portrait Gallery to help me out. I mean, I'm a little bit curious, like, did you have the insight as a sophomore in college, going to London, interning, studying, were you conscious at the time that the connections you were building were ones that you wanted to keep 
and use later or are you just like genuinely getting to know these people and connecting with them on a human level Mm, that's a good question of course of course they were my people they were they were people that were there to support me in a time that was different and tough yeah and so we became really good friends and I think you know at first when you start start something like that you start as co-workers and then mm. you have a few beers at the pub and you, then you're like oh no I'm gonna help you out but I think if I if I had the the insight I would have you know fostered those relationships and really tried to develop them when I came back or over the years but it was never really my intention to get back mm-hmm. just to be having a more diverse group of Facebook friends, truly. <laughs> when I when I study abroad, when I travel, collect a few people from everywhere. Um, and it, it really makes you think of the world in a more global perspective. So you've now gone to London. You have this directive that you need to become a citizen before you can leave the country. You travel north. You find your dad's birth certificate. I do. I went to my dad's hometown. My, I had a little baggie of my grandmother's ashes that I wanted to find her uh, home, her, her mother's grave and her the home, childhood home that she grew up in. Um, and so I found somebody who was related to me. He, he's actually a guy who sends us Christmas cards every year. <laughs> kind of kind of put a face to a name. Uh, but he was 80 years old, and he was he was driving me around this tiny little town, really a village. Uh, Hull is the town, if you want to look it up. And the outlying, outer-lying villages are so small. They've just got tiny little roads. Everybody's there to ask you for, do you need a bacon sandwich? Do you need a tea? <laughs> It's a very different culture. <laughs> Quintessentially British. Yeah. So I received my dad's birth certificate. That was one piece of the puzzle. Got all of my papers in order, sent them off. And finally, it was the day before Christmas. And I got my passport. And it was you're, such you're, a magical moment. Your British passport. My British passport. I couldn't leave the country. I couldn't get a job. I needed that passport to prove employment. And I was so proud of myself. I was like, I, I don't have any hurdles that can touch me now because I have dual citizenship and this is what I, I, want, I worked for. It was a Christmas miracle. A Christmas miracle, truly. You kind of liquidated your life here and you bought a plane ticket and you showed up in London with two bags. Did you build up a little nest egg to like help carry you through those first few months or were you just like winging it? So I did. I liquid. I liquidated all of my assets here and uh, even rehomed my cat. <laughs> um, but all of a sudden, Aunt Shirley? Aunt Shirley, the cat. Yes. She's living a happy life in Ballard now. Don't worry. Nice. <laughs> But I was able to save money working in Seattle for six, seven years. And I was able to just quit my job. I all of a sudden said, you know what? I got to go explore this thing. And they were super receptive. They said, come back anytime. I was grateful. Everybody kind of understood why I needed to do this and where I was going. Um, And so I know I had about six 
month's worth of savings that I could live on. And then it was time to get a job, which my dad reminded me of <laughs> or, <laughs> well, or hopefully before then. Exactly. But, yeah. Yeah. So getting a job, that was my primary goal. Yeah. Um, it's just After so I could. citizenship. Yes. Citizenship first, then a job. Um, and the thing that I didn't realize that was going to really throw a wrench in my plan was housing. Um, mm. and you think of home as a place that, that just is, you, you have a home, but when you don't have a home is the hardest thing, this nomadic lifestyle. I think some people are really meant for it and they love traveling and not knowing where they're going to sleep the next night. But I like to know, I like to know where, where my bed is, where my, my things are just, just have a space that is my own. So I tried probably four different spaces and things I was trying to balance flexibility and security, flexibility and security, balancing these two things. And it was a tough job because every time I found the most flexible contract, the security, it would, it would just fall apart. And you're like, Oh God, I need to find a new place to live. Mm. This happened to me four times and I'm in a really great spot now. So I found this great spot. Then I was able to focus on a job. And so tell us a little bit about this job. So now I work in downtown London. I work in Covent Garden. It's basically the center of the universe as far as I'm concerned. There's art museums. They're free. They're all around. There's food. There's people. Ugh, every single kind of culture you want, it's right there at your doorstep. And so what does this job entail? Um, so I jumped into the startup world. Uh, when I got to London, I worked with several recruiters, worked at an agency for a little bit. And then I said, you know what, I need to do something that that is going that I can really sink my teeth into. Um, so I decided to go in-house at a startup. The startup that I'm working for now is called Qubit. We do personalization software. So not super sexy, but we do work with a lot of fun e-commerce clients, a lot of retail brands. And it's just been really great to actually dig my teeth into a brand and work with an agency and see things from the uh, side of a startup, which is really everybody, all hands on deck, let's get this done. Um, give me a little bit more of a perspective on advertising and marketing uh, from the inside. The cool thing about Cubit is that it was started by ex-Googlers. So we have an awesome kitchen. They have... <laughs> oh, now you're speaking my language. <laughs> they have fridges full of anything that you want to eat and you can make it for yourself. You can make an omelet, you can make smoked salmon on top of a bagel anything. It's just wonderful. And so I barely have to leave the office. It's been a really, really fun time. Also learning about my British coworkers has been so fun. We laugh at each other's accents and funny way we say things. I just learned some, some fun British slang that I would have never known before. I absolutely love working in that spot because I live about 30 minutes on the tube north. And so I'm able to come into this area that has so much culture and history and just liveliness, but I get to live in an area that feels safe and uh, has a park and has a cute little cinema and a, a, a grocery shop. I really feel blessed that I have found this place because I think it is the community that I craved and I wanted. And it took me a few moments, a few places to find what is exactly right for me. And so now starting again in London, I found a great flat, 
lots of light and a great roommate. So I'm able to kind of have this sense of home and sense of place away from home. And I, I'm really loving it. I'm excited for the next phase in that apartment. People from Australia, um, people from Poland, people from Italy, they've, they've kind of, we, we come together and we, we strengthen each other. Found that it's really, I didn't, I didn't think that I would go to London and meet all of these cool expats. I thought it was just me, British people, but. Hearing how you did it, I just can't imagine doing it. I have the drive. I have the, the interest in living somewhere else, but then there's also that, like, I don't know. To me, I think there's a lot of fear. You know, mm-hmm. I think I have fear of lifting everything up and starting over again, you know, totally. like or grabbing the plates and then walking somewhere else and starting to spin them again. Totally. How did you get past that? There's something beautiful in destruction and creation. I think I was in that moment in my life where I needed to destroy it and rebuild it elsewhere. Destroy what? Destroy the the safety nets and the the fear that I had here. I, and I think I needed to just pick all that up, shake it up, and put a British accent on it. <laughs> put a British spin on it. It it worked. I mean, I came face to face with the fear and I remember just being so alone and afraid and there's nobody you can turn to except for your own self. It was terrifying. I mean, you're, you're not there with your family. You don't have any of your friends. You don't even know how to buy laundry soap. <laughs> what are these brands? It just, it's confusing and you, you push through and then you know that you can do it next time. And you look back and you say, wow, I did that. I can do anything. Look at what a badass I am. And at some point I think I was like, you know what? Bad things are going to continue to happen. Challenges are going to pop up like whack-a-mole. And I can't change that. Nobody's ever going to make me immune to challenges. So I just have to be ready to take them. And I know that I've fixed these 50 challenges. What's one more? Bring it on. A skill I've always admired that you have that I do not have. Being able to make friends anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're you're so like fearless in going and talking to people and meeting people and just making quick friends with them. I mean, maybe it doesn't always feel that way for you, but from the outside, it's always seemed that way. And I imagine... Yeah, imagine that played a big part in going to a brand new place where you knew a few people, been there a year almost, and you have a, I mean, you mentioned you had a community, like, mm-hmm. yeah. I do have a community and I absolutely love the fact that I have fostered a brand new one. Mm-hmm. And it's like my world has grown exponentially if you think of concentric circles, my life is just kind of poof, expanded. Taking that uh, circle idea, that concentric circle idea, what's the next circle? Mm. What, what's expanding out from here? Even this time last year, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that London was going to be a poof of a circle. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think wherever the next phase of my life, whether it's a revolution or an evolution, 
Um, I think this is very much a revolution for me, picking up and moving all the way to London. See the next phase. It's going to be an evolution, figuring out how can I have a garden in London? How can I have a community that we actually live near each other? So, I mean, I think that, that that's the thing that everybody is doing is they're optimizing their life to be more and more workable for them. What's one way that you've grown in the past year by picking up and moving that you don't think you would have otherwise? Mm. I think this empathy for people who are not from that place that they are living. Mm. Um, I think immigrants, especially in the U S now that, now that I am an immigrant, I understand how they're treated and how everybody just kind of deserves a break and some kindness, especially when your housing and your job and your legal situation is up in the air. It's just having empathy for people who, who, who've done it. I mean, and kind of a kudos. It's, it's a brave thing for them to do and I get it. And I can now connect with them on a, on a deeper level. In my opinion, empathy is the number one most important skill of a designer. Really, why? Because you're designing for somebody else. You have to be That's... able to know who the user is and will this work for them. Yeah. Hmm. And you have to you have to understand them because without that, then you're just making art. It's why a lot of briefs, creative briefs, I think, are geared towards what am I making? Who am I making it for? Mm-hmm. And that strategy piece of it is key. I think everybody can flex their empathy muscle a little bit more. I like that. Okay, Nicole. So I have an idea for a new topic. Uh, would you uh, would you be willing to experiment this with me? I'll be your guinea pig. Okay. Okay. So I'm calling it the recommendation list. And I am wondering if you have perhaps a couple of recommendations that you can give to uh, Chad and I or to our listeners out there or whomever, maybe to be a little bit more like Nicole. Uh, the first is, what, what would be a good book that you would recommend? Hmm, this is a good one. When I first left, my brother gave me a book. And, and I think it's perfect because I think the sentiment is just something great to receive from someone that you love. So this is a book by Jen Sincero. It's called You're a Badass, How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life. Oh, I like the title. It's, it's a great book. She has a whole series of You Are a Badass. Um, and I think reading that while I was on this journey is exactly what I needed to hear. Yeah. I'm in control of my own destiny. Here we go. Let's make it great. Oh, I like that. Being a badass. Nice. Music. What do you listen to on the commute? On the commute? You know, I'm really into a podcast right now. It's called My Favorite Murder, and it's two women that are basically bantering in their loft, kind of not unlike we're doing now. (laughs) And they chat about their lives and then they talk um, about a murder. Each of them uh, recounts the stories of true crime and I love it and at the end they always say, say sexy and don't get murdered. Good good life advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my co-workers is a DJ in London and uh, he put together a playlist called Good Vibes 
and it is the perfect, most groovy, happy soundtrack. I listen to it on Spotify all the time. Really? Maybe we can uh, get a link to it? Is that okay? Of course. Okay, awesome. What are you guys listening to right now? I'm going to leave, leave Chad here to answer that for the next six hours. How much, <laughs> how much time do we have? What's your favorite thing? <laughs> I listen to podcasts. Specifically, this is Design School. Subscribe and <laughs> rate and review through iTunes. <laughs> I would say one of my newest favorite finds is probably the Big Red Machine. Is that music or yeah. a podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> Good question. No, it's a, it's music. It's a collaboration between um, the lead singer from The National and um, the main guy from Bonnie Bear. But actually, it's like a first album. They created like a new like music space online to post unfinished, unpublished music mm. for artists. Unlike so they, SoundCloud? Unlike SoundCloud. It's like totally non commercial and it's just meant to be like a creative place to share stuff that they normally wouldn't publish and what's it called it, it, the url is like p-e-o-p-l yeah uh that's how they got the url sounds, <laughs> sounds so underground <laughs> it is and i mean you go to the site and it's all in like monospace type and mm. the first thing you see is music for everyone but yeah, it's like you can go listen for free and it's just a bunch of stuff. And so it's all these kind of side collaborations of other artists that they just go and have fun. Wow. Cool. Uh, I could keep going. Do you want to keep going? JP, what are you listening to? Oh, you said already. Um, I, so for my birthday, I got a Sonos system and with it, uh, I figured out the... You can do like a randomizer of, of music connected to my Google Music. And so I just kind of listen to whatever is kind of it plays. But I was just scrolling through to see like what are the playlists that I have marked to, to listen to. And there are three that pop up. The first one is called High School College. So music from the 90s and 2000s. The other one is called Breakfast with the Beatles, which is one that I've made. And the other one is called Grandpa's Nap Time. <laughs> did they pick that for you? They did. <laughs> the worst part is that I highlighted it so I could find it easier. Increase spot three points. <laughs> <laughs> Grandpa, what's on Grandpa's nap time? It, it's a lot of. Uh, he doesn't remember. He doesn't remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like, I only know what the first song is. <laughs> um, it, it's a lot of. So, like, if I'm just doing odds and ends around the house, uh, th that'll be the thing that I play. It's a lot of, you know, old jazz, uh, Louis Armstrong and uh, Chet Baker, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, it's nice to just have like background low music, really liking Childish Gambino and oh, yeah. Drake and stuff like that. Oh, so I know. I'm a, I'm quite eclectic. I, I listen yeah. to a little bit of everything, but it's not that I search it. It's that it shows up and I listen to it. Mm -hmm. 
All right. We'll do a, a few more rapid fire recommendations. Hot TV show. Great British Bake Off. Makes me hungry every time. Inspiring film. You know, I just saw Garden State again, and it has the most gorgeous soundtrack. Mm, the Shins. The Shins. Vegetable. Ooh, I recently rediscovered um, asparagus. Definitely know that you ate asparagus. <laughs> Design tool. Sketch. I'm all about sketch right now. Prototyping tool? Anything. Like sketching the act of sketching or no, the, the, the program? The, the program. program. Okay. Uh, Best advice you've ever gotten? This is a loaded question. You're going to want me to give advice that you have given me. No, no, not at all. Not at all. My advice to everyone is to just grow where you're planted. I've definitely worked through that in London, and I think I could live anywhere now. Awesome. And each one of our listeners now has a contact in London. Hit me up. Let's get some tea. (laughs) And crumpets. Whatever you want, Chad. Biscuits. (laughs) Biscuits. (laughs) It was great seeing you. I mean, your smile. I know you can't hear your smile. Well, you can kind of hear your smile. (laughs) It sounds so British now. Stop it. Uh, But it's been great talking and catching up with you and hearing about your brave journey. I think I'm finally in the position to help people do the same thing that I've done. I I would love to hear from students or people who are thinking about working internationally and just help them help them figure out all of the angles that you need to consider before moving internationally. But I'm definitely a proponent. It's fast track to growing. But my advice to everyone is to grow where you're planted. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, JP. Thanks, Chad. This is Design School is recorded in the field where design happens. The music for This is Design School is composed and recorded by Michael R. Clark. You can find Michael online at musiclabtacoma.com. For additional information about each episode, visit thisisdesign.school. We'd love to hear what you like, what you don't like, and what you'd want to hear in the future. Follow the podcast on Twitter at T-I-D-S Podcast. Also, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. And share us with your designer friends. Bye for now.